0: This morning we're talking about what Jesus said concerning the poor. And when I first heard that song, I was like, oh, another guilt thing, you know, do something. We're asked to do something all the time. And and when I looked at the passages and some of the things that Jesus said about the poor, I get this sense of being overwhelmed, don't you? You look and said that the needs are just endless. It never seems to stop, and we are called to do something, and yet. As I dive into the words of Jesus and I look at the scope of his word, I understand that when we do something with the heart that God calls us to do it with, it really is powerful. It really is a powerful thing. These words of Jesus that we've been talking about in this series, what Jesus said about, have been that, haven't they? They've been very challenging to us. But I think as we go through today, what Jesus said about the poor, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged and inspired that, you know what, I can do something. I can do something. I don't need to be overwhelmed. God has given me one life, and He's given me one purpose, and it's to fulfill the work that He gave for me to do, not for you to do or you or somebody else, but God has given you and I a sphere of influence that we are in, and He's called us to move into that in the name of Jesus Christ, not in our own power. And we do it for the right motives. It's a powerful thing because it's His work and not our own. You know, two uh, passages came to mind when I was preparing And uh, what Jesus said about the poor. One of them we find in Matthew chapter 26. If you brought your Bibles with you, you might want to turn there at this time. We have it on the uh, screen behind us. And Cactus Venue, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26 this morning. In verse 11, we come to this phrase that Jesus said that came to mind when I was thinking about the poor. And that was that Jesus said that the poor will always be with you. Do you remember that phrase? And I thought, we need to look at that in context. I mean, have the poor always been with us? They have, haven't they? It's never gone away. We've had groups rise up, and we've thought, well, maybe our goal is to eradicate poverty. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when it came to coming alongside the poor. I think he had something else very different in mind, and I hope that you flip a switch today, maybe have a little bit of a paradigm shift to see how Jesus viewed, dealt with, and calls us to deal with this whole idea of the poor. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 11. Again, the context here is that Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's had this triumphal entry. He knows that in just a couple of days that He is going to give His life. Meanwhile, the people that are following Him don't really understand what's going on. And He comes into Bethany He's eating at the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper. And when He gets there, a woman comes up to Him and she cracks open this jar of perfume. Theologians tell us that that was a very expensive jar of perfume, one that any one of you would love to have on Mother's Day. It was worth about a year's wages. And she takes it and dumps it on Jesus' head, right in front of His followers, right in front of His entourage. And there's a a little bit of an outrage. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you doing? Do you understand how expensive that perfume is? That you could have taken that and been part of Jesus' vision to be justice in the world. Poverty, a subset of that. They said, we could have taken that, sold it, taken the money, and we could have fed the poor right here. What were you thinking when you did this? And that's where Jesus says these provocative words in verse 11 of Matthew 26. He says, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. The poor will always be with you. I wonder if Jesus had something different in mind when it came to this whole idea of the poor because that seems like kind of a heartless, um, self-aggrandizing statement to say, doesn't it? And then to make matters seem a little bit worse, I look back on the purpose statement that we gave last week when it came to justice. Back in Luke chapter four, if you want to flip one book over, and verse 18, look at what it says up here in the screen. When Jesus said, I have come, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me And he said, I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. But look what he said about the the poor. I have come to give good news to the poor. Now, if you're a physically poor person, wouldn't you say something like, maybe you should have come to give me a job? Or how about food? right? Or how about a little bit of money? That would have been more practical. But Why did Jesus come to bring justice to the world, but to the poor, he said, I've got good news for you. And so I combine that with the phrase that the poor will always be with you, and I've come to simply bring you good news. And I find some of the words that Jesus says about the poor to be kind, kind of disturbing, don't you? Kind of disturbing. What is Jesus really saying here? I believe Jesus did come to preach good news to the poor. And as I studied this and I looked at his life and the message here, I realized that poverty is a lot more than economic scarcity. Jesus is saying something far richer here and that is that every one of us has a deficiency that impacts us at the core of who we are. And therefore, the good news is that in the face of our poverty, be it physical or be it spiritual, now get this, Jesus is our wealth. That's what I believe that he's saying. In other words, he's speaking in that upside-down, cryptic way that Jesus tends to speak when he says, love your enemies. The last is going to be first in the kingdom. And so I wonder if the secret to addressing this whole idea of poverty is to ultimately surrender to it. You say, what do you mean by that? To give up. Admit your loss. And to recognize that Jesus is your wealth. In the words of Larry Crabb, an uh, an author and a psychologist, he said he was going through a very difficult time in his life, a time where he realized that Jesus was all that he had. And he came to a joyous place of recognizing at that moment that Jesus was all that he needed. Could it be that that's what Jesus is talking about when it comes to what he said about the poor, that every one of us sitting here have gone through a time of being spiritually deficient? We all know about people who are physically poor. That's certainly in our faces. That happens. We see it all around us. That happens sometimes through generational poverty. People, uh, the sins of our fathers, Exodus 20, can impact us. Laziness, a sense of entitlement, unemployment, all contribute to this idea of physical poverty that we see. There's situational poverty, circumstances that come upon us that are really out of our control. But I would argue what Jesus is saying, what Larry Crabb realized, that the greater of the two kinds of poverty is this idea of our spiritual deficiency. Like justice, Jesus declared that the poor was one of the reasons that he came. Like justice, if we just take care of the physical needs of the poor, but we don't give them Jesus, we give them no eternal value. And like justice, if we just give them Jesus, but we don't take care of those physical needs, there's no credibility in what we're doing. And like justice, we said last week, this idea of being in tune to the needs of the poor, ready to respond, needs to be part of yours and my DNA. It becomes so much a part of who we are. Really, in essence, we're aligning our will with that of Jesus. We're becoming so much like him, we begin to think like him and act like him and we understand what he says, the poor will always be with you and then we understand that there is really good news to preach to the poor. And so here's the main point in your outline if you're taking notes this morning, that is this, that I wonder if what Jesus meant was that meeting needs physically provides the platform to address the greater needs spiritually spiritually. I would add a second one to that I didn't put in your outline, but I think another response to poverty is that it reveals where our heart truly is. Think about that for a moment. How we respond to see that there are needs in front of us and how we respond to that reveals where our heart truly is. Jesus made it clear. We are never going to eradicate physical poverty. It's part of the curse that we live under on this earth. But we can all all address spiritual poverty. Every one of us, if you are here this morning, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have dealt with this idea of spiritual poverty. You've had to come to a place in your life where you recognize I'm hopelessly lost, and the only ultimate fulfillment any one of us will have in physical poverty or spiritual poverty is in Jesus Christ. And so what does he expect us to do? Just like the song says, we need to do something, but I'm overwhelmed when it comes to, to physical poverty. I look at it all the time and I, I don't want to be told to do more. And so what I hope in our time remaining this morning is just to give you some handles on this to get traction on what your part is and being the hands and feet of Jesus when it comes to the poor. And by the way, I want to celebrate alongside of you that Scottsdale Bible Church does a very good job with this. This is one of the reasons that my wife Karen and I came to this church because we saw what many people coming together can do in impacting a community. We listed a whole bunch of different ministries last week that are making a physical difference right here in Scottsdale, right in the greater Phoenix area, and beyond even to places like Tanzania, all because you are saying, I want to respond to these needs in the right way. I remember hearing messages on the poor and always feeling guilty. Like as soon as I bought something, I should feel guilty about buying that material thing. Or I need to stop every time I see someone on the street that's holding a sign. It's virtually impossible. And then I remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Do you remember? He was talking to Timothy, who was a, a young protege of his, a young leader, a spiritual leader. And he said, Timothy, when it comes to the wealthy, they're going to be in your midst. But he said, command those who are wealthy not to put their faith in that wealth. Why? because it's so fleeting. It's here for a moment and it's gone and many of us have experienced that and tasted that, and the sooner you can, the better, by the way, because it's true. He said, teach those people who are wealthy, don't spank them, don't make them feel guilty, but teach them not to put their faith in it. Then he said this, it's really interesting, but to actually enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you. And then he says this, and teach them to be generous, because everything that I have given them is from my hand, I have provided it for them. So I hope when you leave here today that you just don't hear another guilt sermon about poor, but you understand that you have a role, and beyond that, I hope that you get inspired. I hope when you leave here, you say to yourself, wow, I can do more than I ever thought, why? Because of who is in you, because of who is in you, and because of who you serve, and recognizing that God has provided everything for your enjoyment, but to put it into play for his kingdom. Can I meet the needs of every person on the street corner? No, but you have a sphere of influence. You have family, you have friends, you have neighbors, you have people that you drive by in your community that you go to and you meet in the coffee shop, the gas station, what have you, and we all have opportunity right in front of us. You see, the way the Holy Spirit works is that the closer I am to God, the more God opens up our eyes to see. We begin to see outwardly. And the more we begin to recognize that those things I have in my life are just a tool, they're a means for me to respond. So as I get close to God, and He opens my eyes, and I see, and I have means, and I'm prompted by the Spirit, I do something. And that's the motivation behind it. If we do it in our own power, we burn out, we get angry, we see that happening all the time. I've been a pastor for about 26 years, and I see people often who get excited about some holy discontent whether it's hunger in other nations or sex trafficking or whatever it might be they get all excited and they start a, a ministry behind it and in short order they get angry because they realize they're doing it in their own strength they get tired it's natural that's why I need to bind together and be community the second thing that makes them burn out is they look at all of you and go why aren't you doing what I'm doing We're doing it with the wrong perspective. We're doing it with the wrong heart and the wrong spirits. Bottom line is that you and I all have a role, a purpose. Paul said we have a work that Jesus prepared in advance for us to do. And we have the privilege of threading that with grace and with mercy and with love and temper that as we come to this audience of the physically poor who then will receive I think our starting point is that we need to understand it's not a prosperity gospel, right? Do you understand what the prosperity gospel says? I like the way Mark Driscoll says. Prosperity gospel says that God's a piñata and tithing is a big stick. Give him a whack and watch vehicles with rims fall out of the sky. That's prosperity gospel. And some of us have that kind of thinking. God, I'm gonna make a deal with you. I'm gonna give you some of my money and I want you to multiply it. Give it back to me. And God says that's not what it's about. It's not what we're about here at Scottsdale Bible Church. It's not the opposite of that. Many of you have heard of the poverty gospel that says get rid of it all. Don't have anything. Don't make any money. Don't work hard and don't make too much. Don't give much because the less I have, the less I make, the holier I am. Have you met people like that? Just get rid of it. I remember I loathed money. I was going through hard times with uh, things that would break down. I'd, I'd establish a budget and all you budget people, your financial people, budgets work until something happens that's not in the budget, Right? <laughs> Cars break down, medical things happen. And I know you can plan for those things, but some of them are overwhelming. And all of a sudden, we're putting things on credit cards and it's not a trip to Hawaii. And I began to just hate money. And I sort of got proud of it. I'm like, no, oh, don't talk about money. I don't, I don't like to have anything to do with money. And that's exactly what was happening. I was proud of that. And I realized it was pride. See, this is what I believe about money. I believe it's a tool. You know, Paul said to Timothy, it's a root of all different kinds of, of evil. And many of us get trapped by it but I think God wants us to go out there and work hard and get as much as we possibly can, and I'm not kidding, but for the purpose of putting it into play for his kingdom as a tool to meet physical needs, as a platform to get to the greater need, which is eternal life that we're called to give. We don't advocate prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel, but we do advocate working hard, work smart, work fair, Grow your wealth little by little, like, like the proverb says. And first of all, see yourself as a generous steward. When you think of your life and you think of where you are, do you envision yourself as a generous steward? And secondly, do you see that everything that you have ultimately comes from God? I think we can all, we all give a head nod to that. We all say, yeah, I get that. But functionally, I wonder if we really do believe this. You, to walk, you could walk alongside me for a day and you'd see how this is a battle in my own life to see that God owns everything that I have and he gives it to us so everything we have is received as a gift. And we are called to be his stewards. Our job then is to disperse, dispense, and distribute the resources that God gives to us in a way that glorifies him and helps other people. Does that make sense? Helping meet the need to get to the greater need. In fact, it's really the opposite of all the prosperity thing. It's kind of what some have called the generosity gospel. That's what it is. What does that look like? What does generosity look like in our lives? How do we get to that place where like Mary, we're pouring out a whole year's wages onto Jesus? How do we get there? Let me tell you what's helped in my life. One of the things that's helped me as, as a pastor and a, and a young Christian is that we have to come to the place where we understand four words. And the first one is this, it's surrender. And I'd ask myself, do I really understand what it means to surrender fully to God? I like the way Paul said in Galatians 2:20 I have been crucified with Christ and guess what I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me gave himself up for me it's an all in deal and let me tell you if you can't get surrender if you don't understand what it means to give up everything and not just see God as a vending machine god a club you come to or a choice that you make if you don't get there don't go advance don't go any further You've got to understand it, or this message is not going to make sense. The Christian life is not going to make sense. And I believe with all my heart that once we truly surrender God, we begin to walk in freedom. You know, there's a little vision I have in my life as a pastor, and that's been to help free people up to fully live their lives. I think that's why Jesus came, to set the captives free. But I don't think we can walk in freedom until we surrender. What does that look like? What does that mean? Jesus says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. What does that mean? That means that I don't really think much about what you think about me. In other words, I'm not filling my love bank by pleasing you because God has already validated me. Does that make sense? He's already positionally declared me right before him, set apart to be about his holy work that he's prepared in advance for me to do. I'm not swayed by money and and the lure of a good job. I'm not swayed by status or titles or accomplishments. I am simply free to live out and obey the principles in God's word without pressure from the outside. How many of us walk in that? That's a tough one, isn't it? But if I don't understand surrender, I'm never gonna walk in freedom. When we walk in freedom, we really sense that this is what I was created to do. And when we walk in freedom, I believe the third word is this, it's worship. You say, well, how does that connect? See, I believe we're created as worshiping creatures, not come to a worship service to worship for an hour and 10 minutes every week, that God has wired us in such a way that we worship. The question is, what and how are you worshiping? When you think of, it, Paul said in Romans 12, 1, that I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, we present our bodies as what? You guys know the word, right? Living sacrifices. Where one translation says this is your reasonable service of worship. Reasonable? That's just reasonable? Of all in? Yeah, your reasonable service. Everything you do, every minute that you spend, every dollar you spend, the time, the words, your life, your acts of obedience are all an act of worship. Just what are you worshiping? Where are you putting the weight of your worship? How are you glorifying God? And if you don't understand surrender, you'll never walk in freedom. If you're not walking in freedom, you're not worshiping God. You're just going to church. And I believe that you add those three up, the fruit of that is this fourth word that might blow you away, and it's generosity. What does that have to do to connect? Because as I've had the exercise, the discipline of trying to surrender to God, which we do once and for all, making the decision, but every day Jesus says, remember, take up your cross and follow me. Remember who I am. Remember who you are not. Every day, remember, remember, remember. Coming to church is partly remembering, partly surrendering, grouping together to remember that life is not about me. And as I've been doing that, I've been experiencing more and more freedom in my life, less pressure from the outside. It's so wonderful to experience that kind of maturity. Boy, and I am tasting and seeing Jesus like I never have before, worshiping Him, Really, truly, not just getting the emotional charge, but experiencing who the living Jesus is and how he impacts the do of my life. And guess what? I want to do more. Just like the psalmist who says, your precepts, your commands are not burdensome for me. Just like the woman who wants to pour the perfume onto the head of Jesus. I'm not quite there with the whole year, do you? (laughs) But you see, as we grow and we mature, we begin to live the result of that increasingly, which is an outward life. We begin to live our lives as an outward expression of a deep-seated, I get it kind of faith in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, when he says, the poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me, all of a sudden, when he says, I came to preach good news to the poor, we start to get it. We start to understand what it's all about in our lives. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture in the time that we have remaining. In Luke chapter 21, another example, we saw Mary in uh, in Bethany, what she did with Jesus, but I want us to look at a very famous passage in Luke 21, four verses, verses one to four. And it was the story of the widow's mite. You know the story, the woman who put it all in. But to set it up, I want to look at the, uh, the verses previous to that, kind of the prequel. If you look at verse 20, back a few verses, in verse 45, we see that Jesus has been having this ongoing battle with the spiritual leaders, And he kind of hedges them in and really confronts them strongly And speaking to his disciples in Luke 20, verse 46. He says, beware of the scribes. Who are the scribes? They're the professors of that day, seminary professors, the pastors, the religious leaders, people who had a lot of spiritual influence, who took what God had said, the law they had at that time, and they used it to help people come to know God and to see God. Only problem was they were abusing that. And Jesus has harsh words. He says, beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and they love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Wow. Hard words from Jesus about people who had learned to work a system that God had intended for freedom and they used it for their own benefit. And God says, I've got a problem with that. Jesus said, avoid them all. Have you met people like that in your own life today? People who take advantage of the word of God to, to, to profit themselves. And Jesus says they're in for a heap of trouble. And worst of all, they took advantage of the disadvantage. They were fakes. Widows back in that day, if you know much about your church history or his, history or the culture back then, if you were a woman and you lost your family and you lost your spouse, you essentially lost everything. You were as close to what we would see as a homeless person today as ever. If she had a little bit of money, a little bit of land, the scribes would prey upon those widows. That's what was happening. Jesus was saying, I've got a problem with that. They would come alongside pretending that we want to meet your needs. We want to take care of you, all the while siphoning what little they had off. And and Jesus says, that is not a good thing. You're fakes, you're phonies, and you're asking for trouble. And Jesus says, stay away from people like that. Now look at verse one of Luke 21. It's a context. This is not a parable. This is something that was actually happening. Jesus comes up and there's wealthy people putting money into the treasury. And then he sees this widow who drops in just a couple of tiny coins. Look at verse one of Luke 21. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow. And she put in two small copper coins. And quickly he realized and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put all she had to live on. What a contrast. What a contrast here is Jesus points out what's happening with these wealthy, and then he says, look what's going on here with this widow. This would be a person that the people who came into the temple would look at her and they'd feel sorry for her, thanking God that they're not like her, because they would see people in trouble and recognize that often people in trouble, they believed, brought that trouble on themselves. And so Jesus turns the tables, takes an unlikely hero again, like he does so often, and he says, "In God's economy, we might get all excited about a check that has a lot of zeros behind it." God saying, "I no problem with that." He says, "But in my economy, that dollar50 that no one hardly ever notices is more than the check with all the zeros behind it. He's not coming down on the wealthy. He's not coming down on people with money. He's coming down on something that wealthy people have the tendency to do with money and that is they use it to impress. Do you know people like that? God says check your heart when it comes to that. Who gave out of their abundance and not out of what they had? And the widow gave out of her poverty. See, we think when it comes to poverty that it's all about the people who have helping the people who have not. And Jesus points out right here that even the most impoverished among us can live a generous outward life. Isn't that amazing? So he must be thinking about something different about this. And what is it? It's a huge point. And the huge point is this. This reflected her heart's condition. What was the condition of the widow's heart? She was all in. She was all in. She could have held one of those coins back, but no, she put it all in. Just like Mary, who anointed Jesus with everything, with something so incredibly valuable. You see, I think Mary, I think the widow, they saw something that we often miss, You ever notice that when Jesus was going through his ministry, often he said to people who were following him, he'd say, who do you think I am? He said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? People say, well, some of you think that you're our Elijah. Some of you think you're a great prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? You're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And the same question is for us. If If we were to get what Jesus says about poverty, who do you say Jesus is? Do you know him? Do you understand him? I want to have the kind of faith that Mary had. I don't know if I'm there. That's power. I want to have the kind of faith that the widow might have, that she had in putting it all in. I wonder if I've truly seen Jesus. Have you ever met somebody who's seen Jesus? You're like, well, all of us. But who gets excited? What happens to a person who's truly come to know Jesus Christ? Their life changes, doesn't it? There's a transformation. You look back and go, I don't know what happened. Like the blind man Jesus healed, one moment he couldn't see. He's like, I don't know what happened. I just could now I can see. That was his story. That was his testimony. He was excited. Like Peter and John in the book of Acts, they couldn't contain. They were so excited. Their lives are transformed. And like Mary and like the widow, I wonder if we see Jesus the way they see Jesus You see, we wouldn't have to even listen to a message about the poor. We wouldn't have to debate about best methods and practices to take care of the need, what ministries we should do, which ones we shouldn't. We'd simply respond to the world that's right in front of us, to the needs of the oppressed. You see, we'd have a message in us. Like Paul said, it's a treasure in earthen vessels, and we'd keep spilling it out, something we couldn't quite contain because it so impacted who we are. There's no sense of obligation when we see Jesus this way. I don't know about you, but offering plates go around. I'm like, okay, here we go. It's a a battle. It's a good battle. But many times we give out of that kind of response. But if I see Jesus, I just can't give enough. Spiritual leaders gave for selfish reasons. It was about getting recognition. It was about a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. And all how that can be revealed in all of us, isn't it? Why did you come to church today? Why are you here? Did you come to church For you or do you come to seek a God who can transform your life? Only you can answer that question. Do you come to church to sit and to take in and listen to some good music or do you come to seek an opportunity to serve, to give, to love, to help? Do you walk onto this campus saying, God, who is it you want me to see today? What do you want me to experience today so I can leave here more like you and so I can be a servant of yours right here on this campus together? Maybe you came out of crisis. That's a good reason to come to church, by the way. I'm going through a hard time. What a place to come and hear truth, to be encouraged and be given a hope. But make sure you hear the truth and you're not just here to make a deal with God. God, I've been without a job for a year. I've held up my bargain. I've come to church for eight months. When's the job coming in? When's that spouse gonna come my way? When's that, my body gonna heal? When, when, when? When the only question that really matters is do I know who he is? And are we helping you to see that kind of God? See, the wrong answer is what do I get out of this? The right answer What do I put into this? What did the widow do? She put it all in. She nailed it. She didn't come to see what she could get. She didn't think if I put these two in here, I'm going to multiply my wealth. She came because of who God was and because what He had done, she was all in. She gave because she completely trusted in God. I sometimes wonder if the reason she had two small copper coins was because the scribes had taken what little she had. Money's a big deal. But one of the things we never want to forget, that it's not a big deal to God. See, he put money in our world to do something. See, God's not in heaven doing a compelled by grace campaign. We need money. Got to have more gold here. We got to get street sweep. No, he doesn't need our money. We know that he doesn't. He has no use for the money whatsoever. And one of the reasons that God puts money in this world is because he's also put the poor in our midst who will always be with us. And God put the poor in our midst because he wants to know where your heart is in regards to needs that are in front of you. See, what else did Jesus say? Oh yeah, what did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart's gonna be. That's where your heart is gonna be. I've placed poor people in your midst all around you. I've provided a lifetime filled with opportunities for you to expose your heart's allegiance. Every day, you have an opportunity, endless opportunities, to also taste the joy that comes from lavishing God's love on people through giving of your resources to help them, to meet the physical need, to meet the greater need, to reveal what's really going on in your heart so that God says, you're all in. You get it. From the very beginning, God said, you can only have one God. Money is gonna be one of those things to test that. And God says, I'll do anything I have to to go after that. So it's not your God anymore. And it's a good thing. This woman was selfless. She was sacrificial. Even the physically poor, as I mentioned, they can demonstrate surrender and freedom and worship and an outward life manifested in generosity. The attitude of what can I put into this really is an antidote for what's plaguing our churches today. We could actually do what the song says and actually do something because we understand who he is. We're getting to know who he is, and whether or not we understand that we have, everything we have, belongs to him and the widow got it. Seeing physical poverty and responding to it shows our hearts that we understand that we too went through poverty but the greater poverty of spiritual deficiency. That God loved us enough to come down and see I was messed up. Messed up in my views, messed up in my my living life for me, and this God died for me to buy me back. And the least I can do is live my life out of an attitude of gratitude manifested in coming alongside people in relationship, meeting needs to lead them to the greater need. Is your response to God, I'm all in? Have you seen God in such a way? Two responses that we really have to the poor. Number one is I meet the needs, the immediate needs, in hopes that it might give me an opportunity, an open door to introduce them to the greater needs. Because after all, isn't that why we're here? To people who don't know Jesus, to come to know Jesus, and to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And the second response is the poor in our midst to reveal what is truly in our hearts. Let me get really practical to you for a moment. I think in this last point, and we'll close with this, I don't think we're called to meet every need. Isn't that freeing? You can breathe out. Whew, okay. But I think we are called to meet some needs. And as we get close to God, as we attend this church and you hear great truth spoken, not just to get head knowledge, but to get the heart attitude that says, I want to be the kind of person, I want to have the kind of faith that whatever is going on in my life, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, Paul said, whether I'm hungry or I'm, I'm well fed, that I've learned the secret of being content that is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me And I become his vessel to be poured out. I become his conduit to meet the needs of the poor physically in order to meet them in a a more tangible way, a more eternal way. And so here's what I want to do as we close our service today. I want us to think about this. There's a couple of opportunities. We do an offering here at the end of our church, our cactus and our venue campuses, we do this too. It's not to take up another offering because we didn't get enough in the first one. Once a month, we take up what we call an elder offering and it simply is an opportunity to, together, all put in a little bit to help meet needs. And all through the week, there are people in this church, some of you are sitting right here going, I've been blessed by, by what's been happening here and you have an opportunity to give to the elder offering. And we do that monthly and reach out in our community that way. Also, I was approached by a young man. His name is Christopher Warrington. If you want to meet him, he's out on the patio today. He's in front of Venue over at Cactus Campus. We also have a table there. And he started a ministry called Samaritan Bag. Really, really cool deal. Basically, what it is is you can get these bags, you can put them in your car, and as you see a physical need out there, you might have an opportunity to kind of prime the pump. Get an experience of what it feels like to give some, to somebody. And the bags out here today. There is an organization that donated thousand bags to Scottsdale Bible Church. How's that for reversing things, right? So they're free. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I'll tell them you clapped, and uh, and you can go out there and take one. There's, we only have a thousand, once they're gone. But but if you want more, you can talk to Christopher, and you could probably purchase some from his ministry. But there are some out there to get you kind of going to understand. I can, and in there I love it. He says it's ice, I C E. He said we have things in there to meet immediate needs. So they have like a granola bar and a bottle of water for people right there on the street. He said we have things C to meet continual needs. So there's a pair of socks and toothbrush and toothpaste, And then we have something in there to meet eternal needs. And of course, it's a Bible and a beautiful piece that describes how to deal with spiritual poverty, that spiritual deficiency that we all have. And it's just a tool, that's all it is. And so we wanna encourage you to avail yourself of that when you leave here today. And maybe you're in need today in a very specific way. We also want you to feel free to come forward at our Cactus, our venue, and here we have people that wanna pray with you. I know Mike Judge over at Cactus today is gonna be doing that and Rustin over at our venue. would love to meet you to pray with you. We have folks up here. If you need someone just to pray with you as you're struggling through just a whole life, this journey, we want to help you do that and help you get plugged in as as, uh, Joe talked about earlier as well. Right now I want you to pray with me and then we'll have our group come up and we'll take up our elder offering. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you're the God of all things. You're the God who meets all of our needs. But I pray that you'd open our eyes this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit to realize that it's your way of meeting our needs, that we'd see right here that all our needs are met because all we have is met in you, in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, like that Mary at uh, at Bethany and like the widow who put all all in, I pray that you could help us to have that kind of faith for we are weak. We have so much around us. It's so hard for us to see uh, through the the things that we have. And so, Lord, I just ask that you'd help us. I pray for those that are here today that are struggling with uh, feeling the sense of the, the pain of poverty or being oppressed, I pray that would be encouraged by being a part of such a lively and incredible body. So Lord, would you meet needs that we have so that we can go out and meet the needs that are out there so that we can have the opportunity to give the greater message. And Lord, may you help us to give a heart check this morning to realize it's not about guilt, it's about experiencing true freedom by letting it go. So Lord, bless our time as we give now. We ask in your son's name, amen.